Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Jesus continued on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he came to Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he gave two disciples a task. Go into the village over there. When you enter it, you'll find tied up there a colt that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Just say, its master needs it. Those who had been sent found it exactly as he had said. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, Its master needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their clothes on the colt, and lifted Jesus onto it. As Jesus rode along, they spread their clothes on the road. As Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they had seen. They said, Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. But some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, scold your disciples. Tell them to stop. He answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would shout. The Holy Gospel. Praise to you, O Jesus Christ. Well, I've only been in Cleveland for about six weeks now, but if there's one thing I've already learned, it's that there's a pretty fierce, if somewhat friendly, rivalry between the east side and the west side. And maybe you saw my sermon title in the bulletin this morning, East Side or West Side, and you wonder whether I'd stand up here on Palm Sunday extolling the virtues of the East Side from the pulpit. Well, that's exactly what I'm about to do. Just not the East Side of Cleveland, I'm sorry. This morning we're talking about Jerusalem. The East Side of Jerusalem and In fact, what was unfolding not only there, but on the opposite side of the city on Palm Sunday. But let's begin by recalling the words about Jerusalem that we heard on the lips of Jesus just a few Sundays ago in Luke 13. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill prophets, how often have I wanted to gather your people just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? But you didn't want that. I tell you, you won't see me until the time comes when you say, blessings on the one who comes in the Lord's name. Well, today we hear the fulfillment of both parts of that prophecy. The shouts of blessing showered upon Jesus, the king, as he rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and the execution of God's prophet God's Son, on Good Friday. On Palm Sunday, Jesus finally reaches his destination. Most of Luke's gospel is the story of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. It's a hundred-mile journey from Galilee south to Jerusalem. 
a meandering journey with many stops to teach and to heal. A journey that begins in Luke chapter 9 when we read, as the time approached when Jesus was to be taken up to heaven, he determined to go to Jerusalem. And just a few verses earlier in chapter 9, Jesus gives his disciples some advice on what they need to do if they want to follow him. He says, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, to take up their cross daily and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all those who lose their lives because of me will save them. In other words, Jesus says, follow me all the way to Jerusalem, all the way into the temple, all the way to the cross. But in order to understand what that really means, what it means for us to take up the cross daily, and more than that, to understand how Jesus himself ended up on the cross, we need to begin with the procession on Palm Sunday. Jesus and his disciples are gathered on the east side of Jerusalem. And he begins his descent down the Mount of Olives on the back of a colt as peasants throw their cloaks on the road before him in a gesture of reverence. And they shout out blessings upon Jesus, their king, just as he prophesied they would in Luke 13. There is, however, one group among the crowd who's not joining in the public proclamation of Jesus as king, the Pharisees. In fact, they ask Jesus to quash it. Now, we know that the Pharisees get a bad rap in the Gospels. But in this case, maybe we shouldn't be so quick to dismiss their concern as a lack of faith or understanding. Instead, if we understand the fuller context of what's happening in this moment in Jerusalem, then we might come to understand their plea as an attempt to protect Jesus and his disciples. Because the Pharisees may know something that we as modern readers don't. They know that Jesus' parade wasn't the only one in town that day. On the opposite side of the city, coming in from the west, there was a rival procession, one that proclaimed a different king. And at the head of that procession was Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who ruled in and around Jerusalem. And just to be clear before we go any further, you Eastsiders can't call the Westsiders of Cleveland evil just because Pilate came from the west, okay? Now, Pilate's imperial procession looked and sounded a little different than Jesus' peasant palm parade. Listen to this description of it from church historians Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan, who write, Imagine the imperial procession's arrival in the city, a visual panoply of imperial power, cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, Weapons, banners, golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glinting on metal and gold. The marching of feet, the sounds of creaking leather, the clinking of bridles, the beating of drums, the swirling of dust, the eyes of silent onlookers, some curious, 
some awed, some resentful. To understand the significance of these competing processions, I want to ask three simple questions this morning. Where, when, and why? So first, let's take up where, because the location of this story is deeply significant. Jerusalem was the center of the Jewish world, and it had been for centuries. It's where the temple was located and where Jews with political power lived. In the early part of Roman rule in Judea, the Jews were allowed to keep their own king. You may recall that Herod I was the Jewish king when Jesus was born. But not long after Herod's death, Caesar appointed a governor to rule the region in and around Jerusalem on his behalf. And as a result, much of the Jewish aristocracy in Jerusalem became agents of the Roman government. They became cogs in an oppressive economic system that demanded exorbitant taxes from peasants who couldn't feed their own families. And if we dig into the economic injustices of this system, then we'd better understand Jesus' tirade in the temple on Palm Sunday when he drives out the money changers. Now, that's a sermon for another day. But before we move on, I want to be very clear about one thing today and as we move into Holy Week, that it's critical, critical, as 21st century Christians that we take extra care as we read these stories in Holy Week not to do so with an unintentional anti-Semitic bias. Remember that Jesus himself was a Jew, speaking and acting out against the empire that was claiming authority over their God and the ways that his own faith tradition had been co-opted by that empire. Now, as important as Jerusalem was as the setting of this story, the timing of Palm Sunday is perhaps just as important. So let's turn to the question of when. Jesus' entry in Jerusalem unfolds at one of the holiest times of the Jewish year, Passover. In the first century, there were approximately 40,000 people living in Jerusalem. But at Passover, historians estimate that as many as 200,000 Jews would make the pilgrimage to the temple. Now, Pontius Pilate didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived on the west side, on the coast, about 60 miles west of Jerusalem. But his visit at Passover is no coincidence. In those days, it was custom for the Roman governor to make an appearance at the beginning of Passover. Jesus would have known that. And so did the Pharisees who warned Jesus to silence those calling him king. Let's briefly turn back to Exodus and recall what Passover is all about. Passover marks the liberation of the Israelites from oppression. It's a celebration of the Israelites being freed from another empire, retelling the story of God crushing their Egyptian oppressors and leading the Israelites to this promised land, to Jerusalem, a land that God had given them, a land that belonged to them. Now remember that 200,000 Jews are traveling to Jerusalem 
to tell these stories of liberation from their oppressors. You see what's happening here, right? The Roman Empire didn't want these Jews getting any ideas at Passover, thinking that they could be liberated once again. Pilate's imperial procession on the west side of Jerusalem was muscle flexing. It was a way for Rome to demonstrate its power, a not-so-subtle reminder that this land and the people who lived in it belonged to the one true king, Tiberius, emperor of Rome, who the Romans called the Son of God, the Savior, the bringer of peace on earth, the liberator. Bearing this Passover story in mind helps us to finally answer that last question of why. As in, why does this procession lead to the cross? Well, just as Jesus's or as Pilate's procession, the timing of it was no coincidence, neither was the timing of Jesus's. As Christians, we've been conditioned to understand Palm Sunday as a rather quaint scene the humble yet triumphant entry of an itinerant prophet from Nazareth and the joyful reception of his faithful followers. But that interpretation of the story misses the political intent of Jesus. You see, Palm Sunday is a counter-procession. It's a protest march one meant to openly mock the empire and exalt the kingdom of God over the kingdom of Rome, to make a political and theological statement that this place and these people belong to God, not to Caesar. Make no mistake, Jesus knew precisely what he was doing and what the consequences would be. All the way to Jerusalem, he had been preaching the good news of God's sovereignty, of God's reign on earth, and now the moment had arrived to speak that truth to power. When the Pharisees warn him to silence the people calling him king, Jesus responds, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would shout. In other words, the time has come for the proclamation of God's reign. There was no turning back. This procession would lead to the cross. Two processions entered Jerusalem at Passover. One, an imperial procession that used military force and economic oppression to maintain the status quo the other a peasant-led revolution that proclaimed the good news of liberation for all people by the loving reign of God. So which side are we on? Which procession are we in? Which side of Jerusalem are we standing on? Are we in the procession that follows Jesus into Jerusalem? into the temple where he takes bold action against economic injustice? Are we standing next to Jesus, claiming our discipleship as the authorities make their plans to kill him? Are we following him up the hill to the place where he will be crucified? Or are we silent bystanders in Pilate's procession, 
playing it safe, guarding our lives and protecting what we have. This may feel like an abstract question to you. It's not exactly easy to imagine ourselves living in first century Jerusalem and to speculate how we'd act in this moment. And the truth is that when we do this kind of hypothetical imagining, we all like to think that we'd be on the right side of history, no matter the consequences. That we'd stand against Hitler and the Third Reich. That we'd march with Dr. King across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. That we'd put our bodies on the line to protect our LGBTQ siblings at Stonewall. But the real question this Holy Week is not where we'd stand in those moments of history. It's where we're standing here and now. Are we standing in solidarity with the oppressed? Bringing good news to the poor. Not merely feeding them and clothing them and housing them, but speaking and acting against the injustices that continue to hold them down and accepting the costs of that kind of discipleship. All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, and those who lose their lives because of me will save them. The cross awaits. Are you ready to follow? Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.